Mormon Expression has a lot of fun activities on the calendar. You can visit the Mormon Expression community page online to see what's going on. We do have the live show coming up at the Salt Lake City Library, um, and it is the pre-existence. We also have a weenie roast coming up in Lehigh, Utah. And also, don't forget to submit your essay for the essay contest and artwork for the um, Cafe Press store. And that is a contest also. Mormon Expression is a production of Whitefields Educational Foundation. For more information, visit whitefieldseducational.org. All right, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson, and tonight we're here with another uh, great studio full of wonderful people. Um, first of all, to my left is the intrepid and beloved Zilpha. Hi, Zilpha. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. Hello. Um, and um, across from me is Greg. Welcome back, Greg. Well, thanks. Happy to be here. It's good to have you. And once again in studio, one of the greats, one of the, one of the, uh, I always think about um, the Lord of the Rings, the Ents, that, that's what you are. You're one of the Ents turning into a tree in the forest, it's Thane. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and joining us from, from the, the nether regions, it's Brant. Hey, Brant, welcome back. Thanks, John. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, it's good to have you, Brant, um, to bring balance to the forest. I try. Um, don't go when the other guy has the high ground. Isn't that what the, the end of the movie was? I think so. <laughs> All right. So, um, and, um, yeah, we're, we're here. You know, I, I try to avoid topical topics because um, then it points out to how we're usually not topical. You know, it's the, it's the exception that proves the rule. But there's been so much talk lately um, about baptisms for the dead that um, – that um, I was getting pinged and people were asking us to um, have a podcast on it. So I decided to uh, to, to do so um, out of the goodness of my heart. So I brought in some of the experts on it, um, and, um, and, and here we all are, to try to um, deconstruct um, baptisms for the dead through the ages. Um, and maybe we should begin with the New Testament, right? Um, because Joseph Smith... Um, just like all great um, pseudopigrapha writers, um, would look for hooks and windows in in the scripture where there's these little tossaway references that intrigue people. And there happens to be one in the New Testament. Does anybody have the reference? Anybody have their quad? First, I have it. First Corinthians fifteen and twenty nine. And what does it say? Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Brant? I just know the uh, which version, King James or New International Version? Which, whichever, whichever one you got in front of you. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll we'll do King James. Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead not if the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? Is there any any translation difference in the um, newer versions? <clears throat> I admit I don't follow this passage that much. Uh, 
Not really. Uh, now there IV, is no they, resurrection. They changed the grammar. It's like, why were they baptized for the dead instead yeah. of why then were they? I always wondered who they were. Well, that's an excellent question. This whole scripture, if if my understanding is correct, has baffled scholars. Yeah, because it, it's the only thing we have about it. We don't we don't have any other record of the practice or or anything else about it. Uh, Do we? There are. Uh, passing references from a couple hundred years later. Right. And and we have to assume that it was happening at the time that Paul was writing to the Corinthians, or he wouldn't have said what he said. So clearly somebody in Corinth or around Corinth was pa- uh, practicing baptism for the dead uh, so that he could say, why are we baptized for the dead? Now, I'm going to take the uh, shocking uh, view that Paul was condemning baptism for the dead because he was saying, why are you baptizing these people for the dead? They're dead. They don't need baptism. Um, I didn't make that up, by the way. I stole that from Bart Ehrman. But that's what Bart Ehrman says is that Paul is in this scripture is condemning baptism for the dead, saying people that are dead don't need to be baptized. They're already, you know, in heaven. You know, it, it's interesting that you bring that up because I remember all throughout my mission, that was one of those gotcha moments that we could use where we could talk about baptism for the dead. We could reference it in Corinthians and then say, ah, see, it's it's in the Bible. So we've got you here. Um, but it, I, I'd never heard of the uh, the opposite, basically saying, why are you practicing it if, if, if they're they don't dead? Rise. Yeah, doesn't that right. kind of decontextualize it to make it say that Paul is explaining that there is no literal re- uh, resurrection? If you look back, and I don't remember which verse it is, I think it's about verse 22, he's he's talking about resurrection. And, right. And so my take on it is he's saying we already understand resurrection. Resurrection is for people that have died. They don't need this baptism because they will be resurrected because of the atonement. But so. then it doesn't really make sense that he says if the dead rise not at all. I see, and I don't know if this is a bad translation or or what, but I think what he's saying is these people are dead. You don't need to baptize them; they're already gone to their reward. And you know, I don't know if we want to get off of of this scripture just yet, but there's scriptures in the Book of Mormon that say essentially the same thing that uh, the the time for uh, earning your salvation is this life, not. Mm-hmm. You know, the next right. life or, or whatever. And the same spirit that possesses you in this life will have power over you in the next. Uh, partly that. But the one I was looking at is in Alma 34. I've got uh, Alma... Oh, shoot. 32 to 34? Yeah. Yep. Alma 34, 32 through 34. For behold, this life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life is the day for men to perform their labors. So... That's Alma 34 and 32. So I found an interesting article by John Riumi. I don't know how you say his name. He's at the Dallas Theological Seminary, and he wrote an article about this and saying that most biblical scholars accept that it can't come up with any other explanation. Now, I mean, Barterman is sort of the anti-biblical biblical scholar in that sense, right? But can't come up with any other explanation for what this is that's that's good, except for that they're essentially saying what Mormons think, that they're baptizing vicariously by proxy. But he brings up that there is no, um, there is no evidence um, 
con- um, contemporaneous evidence in the area that would that we can find that would support that that practice was happening. I have an I have a little tidbit that on my mission in southern Italy, the last city that I was in was uh, built on an ancient Roman city. It's a, and um, so one of the people, eternal investigators who loved all restorationist movements, he took us out to this ancient Roman church and showed us this baptismal font. And, and he wasn't Mormon. He he kept on saying, anyway, that's another story. But he uh, he said that the the context of this ancient Roman church, which was 300 AD or so, was that they performed baptisms for the dead in that font. So I we, of course, thought that that was super cool. But um, the John Rium from the Dallas Theological Seminary says, you have evidence, and Thane, you said this, you know, 200 years A.D. and and post that, but they, most people think that that's sort of because of this scripture, not that they, you know, that they, it's from some earlier thing. They, nobody can quite figure it out. Well, couldn't they have actually been baptizing the dead? Like, couldn't they have... <laughs> That's really creepy. <laughs> I mean, well, but really, okay. if, if you have a loved one who has just died and you're like, oh, crap, they never Hurry up got and baptized well, before I mean, you put them in the well, ground. Ba- baptism exists in almost all religions in some form. It's a ceremonial washing, right? And, and, and the dead? are washed. So, I mean, it's not that far-fetched an idea. I mean, it sounds kind of zombie weird when you if, say it. But. If I'm recalling what Ehrman said, what he was saying was that in in the very ancient church, that first hundred years, um, they had this tradition that uh, you would study and study and, and fellowship and become part of the church, and then you would get baptized, and they would do the baptize baptisms all at once. Uh, they would do them in the spring, you know, around Easter. And so everybody that was going to get baptized that year would get baptized at Easter-ish. And uh, so what happens if you die at Christmas and you've been studying all year long to get ready to be baptized and become a Christian and then you die before you go there? And so the family would say, well, he he clearly intended to be Christian, so let's baptize by proxy. And so that was the idea. I I honestly don't dispute that Paul was talking about something related to baptism for dead people. You know, he obviously was, or he wouldn't use the words that he did. But I don't think that he was, uh, you know, I don't think that it was a common practice. If it was a common practice, we would have more than just Corinthians to talk about it. And if it was a common practice, it would have survived like baptism for the living did. Well, I, well, go ahead, Brent. I, I was going to say that was one of the things that intrigued me the most about this subject was if you think about it, a lot of people, if you were to bring up baptisms for the dead, Mormons would probably be one of the first person, one of the first groups on their list. But I was intrigued to see if there were other churches out there who actually did this. And I was able to find a couple. Outside of Christianity, you have these group in Iraq and Iran called the Mandaeans who do proxy baptisms. But within Christianity, you have the New and Old Apostolic Church, as well as the communion and sealing to the departed. And it's, it's basically the, what we do with our baptism for the dead, though maybe not fully submersed. They use proxies. But it's really interesting to know that there's this small little verse, and it seems like only the Mormons have jumped on it, whereas there's all these other churches out there, and they've either passed it by or they've explained it away. But... I've always found it odd that the Mormons were the only ones that jumped on it and said, "Okay, let's let's do something about this. Let's investigate this a little bit more and and see what this means." So, so Brad, are you saying that the old apostolic and the new apostolic church and the Mandeans are baptizing by proxy without referring to the scripture in Corinthians? 
all I know is that they they do a proxy type of baptism. I, I got to imagine that the the new and old apostolic church. I got to imagine that might play a factor in it. The Mandaeans. I'm I'm really not sure what. Probably what, not. Yeah. And I, you know, I I don't think we have time in this in this um we don't have time in this um in this podcast to go through baptism itself because. The, the practice as it's introduced in the Christian era in that in the book is still a little bit mysterious to, to people when obviously it took root and it, it went through the churches and and stayed with us but there's a complex discussion about even why they were doing baptism and when they started in the first place yeah and just to touch on that without getting too far down um, by contrast baptism is an ordinance from the ancient church that survived now you know do we sprinkle or do we baptized by immersion or is it essential for salvation or is it a outward expression of a you know inward commitment all of those things are are open to question amongst you know christians but baptism has survived baptism for the dead never did so you right. got to wonder you know was this really a legitimate uh, practice well and i i think that leads us to the you know the next segment here which is the introduction and i i want to talk a little bit about the the idea of restoration you know the whole mormon movement is built upon this falling away i mean what's the first thing that that joseph smith reports that god says to him that all other um, denominations, all other creeds are an abomination. So it's it's not just that the other religions are a little bit misguided. I mean, the early language is they are profoundly misguided to the point of being, um, well, an abomination is a pretty heavy-duty word. I mean, that, that's that the God's not mincing words when he says that to Joseph. So so once you have that, you're sort of casting out or, or throwing away everything that came before, that these guys were, were not a little bit confused. They were profoundly disturbed and profoundly confused. And that's why the Book of Mormon talks about the horror of the world and the great and abominable church. And there's only two churches. And when Mormons talk about there only being two churches, they're not including like Jehovah Witnesses or the Methodists in with their, with their little party. I mean, everybody else is wrong. Yeah. Right? You, you, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Oh. yeah that's. So, yeah, so, I was so, waiting for Brant for the grumble. Yeah, well, that's and I, I just I, I you know I don't know, we can debate that if we want but what the 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 problem that Joseph runs into is the same problem that every religion runs into, which I I call the problem of the minority. I'm sure that there's a, a legitimate theological term for this out there, which is the the world is so theologically diverse. You know, we have a billion. Buddhists and a billion Hindus and a billion, you know, or, or half a billion, uh, um, you know, yeah, one, uh, a billion Christians and a half a billion um, uh, Muslims, that if you pick any one religion, you are going to be in, in not only in the, in the minority, you're going to be the profound minority. And then when you look at that over the long view and start factoring in like the Sumerians and the, and the Babylonians and the Egyptians, wh- whatever religion you believe, you, you have to dismiss a, a, a large segment. Uh, we'll use the example of our evangelical brethren who, you know, say, well, you have to have this, um, accepting Jesus Christ, your own personal savior. Well, if you look at Christian history, you know, it's clear that most people in the Middle Ages never did that, right? They never, so, so, so you're still throwing most of the Christian world on, under the bus. So when Joseph Smith um, takes and does the restoration, he immediately has a problem, which is, okay, we have the truth, the small group, yay us. But then it doesn't take long before you start peering over the so- his shoulders. And Joseph Smith was profoundly connected to his brother Alvin. And, and I think that as his thoughts went to that time and time again, 
you know, he Alvin he, died. Yeah. Before the before, before the, restoration. the restoration, before the Book of Mormon was published, right. and, and and Joseph Smith and the family looked to Alvin almost as a prophet. He was older than Joseph, and he, yeah, and 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 there's some who write that Joseph Smith was really saw himself as filling Alvin's sort of destiny and Alvin's Potentially, role. Yeah. So 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 once you say okay, we have to have baptism to the, get they, into the kingdom, you immediately have this problem with the rest of the world. Right. I think that's a point that I was going to bring up is that Mormons think that baptism is necessary um, for exaltation. Like they, they figure that because Jesus himself was baptized and he was perfect, that it's, it's just something that you have to do. It's not like a wash away of your sins or anything like that. It's just an, an ordinance that everyone has to do. Even Jesus. Yes. I I think if you're, if you're talking for proxy, yes. I think if you're talking for living baptisms, there there really is that concept of a washing away of sin, even though you get into some difficulties with, well, if you're eight years old, how could you really have sinned before you were eight, and how can you wash anything away? But I, I think that there's a lot of the ritual that's wrapped up within Mormonism, and, and that's where we're, we're comfortable with our own ritual, but if you talk about rituals within a Catholic church, all of a sudden, that's really, really bad. But our rituals of baptism, well, that's that's okay. Well, is it too bombastic to sort of throw in that baptism and the essentialness of baptism is also a function of our fetish on authority and the developed fetish on authority? That, like, uh, it's, it's, it's not just that the ordinance is necessary, but... But it's really who's controlling the ordinance, and that really becomes, right. I, I would posit, the, right. the real functional piece of this. You know, you're, you're baptized, you know, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, splash. But the next day, you're confirmed a member of the church. So essentially, in the Mormon church, you're baptized into the church, not baptized a Christian. I mean, let's recall that one of the main things that the Christian world uh, is does not like us about is that we don't accept anybody else's baptism. Right. You if have you to were be baptized, re-baptized to be a Mormon. Yeah, and and that's not true in uh, in the rest of the Christian world. And, and ironically, I guess from your conversation with John Hamer, not true of the community of Christ, for uh, instance. And, and they're in transition, you know, as to which baptism they they accept. But um, the 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 Baptists don't accept our. If you if you convert to a, a become a Baptist, you have to be re. Well, yeah, because we're pagans. Um. So it's it's a it's a it's a two way street. But but I, I want to underline kind of what we we sort of brushed by there. The 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 Mormon Church has definite specific ordinances that have to be. They done. have saving ordinances. There's four of them, and okay. you have to have these four ordinances in what, order and what are to they? be exalted. Oh, now you cut <laughs> catching me. <laughs> Baptism. You have to uh, have your endowments. You have to have your uh, uh, washing, and you have to be sealed. And you have to, so, if you're a man, you have to receive the priesthood. Right, yeah. right. So those those are the four essential, or four and a half, five, you know, essential ordinances uh, for exaltation. Um, and and so I think what Zilpha's point was initially is these are essential ordinances for salvation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They can't be skipped. They can't be missed. Are we gonna? Are we gonna? Talk in this about the fact that bat- we use baptisms for the dead as shorthand for a whole list of 
things that we sort of gloss yeah, over in. Uh, no, I want to table that. It's a, okay, very, sorry. it's a very important idea, and that wait, and, this isn't in the agenda. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, well, this is Mormon expression. But, <laughs> we don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what agenda you guys are talking. about. <laughs> yeah, agenda is more of a guideline. My, uh, the only agenda I have is the gay agenda. Okay, so um, um, so, so, so we, we we have the idea of restoration that that things have to be put back into place. And we have the idea that things have to be done in an exact legalistic manner. And Mormon baptisms are very legalistic. Right. If if your the hem of your dress, I mean that's not even part of your your person or or your hair drifts up, then they will say that it is it is invalid. Right. And you have to redo it. So a funny little story, personal story on that. When when I was baptizing my son Joseph, uh and he's, you know, and he's a he's I guess this is going to go down for posterity, but he's he's minorly autistic. He was really freaked out about getting into the water and about going under the water. And I swear, I got him under the water, but he was thrashing around enough that they were like, well, I know he looks freaked out to hell, but <laughs> there's he's some possibility that his little toe came up, and so you better do it again. And so we just had oh to struggle gosh. through that. And it was uh, it was traumatic. I, I've heard, I, I can't verify it, but I've heard that they... If it's an extreme circumstance, they will make exceptions and they they will try to accommodate. It, but there are some old fuddy duddies who use the name. It depends on your bishop. It, well, it's it's the problem whenever you introduce a legalistic system. It immediately starts to fall apart under close scrutiny. And I'll I'll go to the to my my old go to um, debating partner Richard L. Lyman. Of course, he was the apostle who was excommunicated in 1943 because he had a 22 year relationship with a mistress. Um, wife, come on. <laughs> um, uh, so, so he he was he was an apostle, and obviously during those twenty two years, or the, well, he was an apostle from eight, nineteen eighteen to forty three, um, and and it's not exactly clear when he picked up his his um his um piece on, on the, the side. side, lady friend, <laughs> his lady friend, um, his but friend. but but you know he was officiating in the offices of the church. He was doing ceilings and all sorts of things at the time, and the brethren were kind of flummoxed at that point because what, what do you now do? what right and so so brother lime so the brethren have a problem now because he's been doing all these ordinances but they, they decide to let them stand and and i think if you read the church handbook of instructions it says something to the effect in a in a buried passage that if you find somebody's been sinning you don't have to go redo all their stuff which doesn't really coincide with the belief that if your hair <laughs> If you floats up if to the your top, hair floats up, the, the, the baptism is, is invalid. Is invalid. But, but the early doctrine of this baptism and other things were so, you know, legalistic again about we are not going to do sprinkling and sprinkling is a, is a sign of the apostasy of the mother church and blah, 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 blah. But, but, but in a sense though, doesn't that, I, I know that that's something that a lot of LDS people, and, and we kind of got into this when we talked a little bit about the Adam God thing, but, the LDS people, they really love the specificity of, of everything. And in a sense, they kind of sit there and say, well, you see, it, it's got to be exactly this way because this is the way that God does it. And God's house is a house of order and God's perfect and everything like that. And so in a sense, it, it almost gives them a little bit of backing saying, well, you see how specific we are? Well, that's how specific God is. And I, I see, will grant you true. that Mormons love their 
rules. They they love that they have an answer for everything and it makes them sleep better at night because now I've got all the answers. The problem is all these people around the edges, this disabled person or this retarded person or, uh, you know, this person that had an accident on the way to the temple, you know, to get married or whatever, you know, they, they don't have answers for all of these exceptions. And I think that's what Joseph Smith ran into. You know, because they they started baptism from the from the early part, and if you read the Book of Mormon, Alma baptizes himself, and there's no the there's no line of authority. Alma was a priest of Noah, you know, so so he in the Book of Mormon he doesn't have, and some apologists will try to argue that, uh, he, that he was pri- a priest, and yeah, so. yeah, but 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 he goes and baptizes himself. So so you you see the growing out of the 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 Western religious movement of this grassroots. We're going to reject the churches and do this ourselves to themselves calcifying around a religious tradition. I mean, you can clearly see that in early Mormonism. But then then people come and start saying, what about Alvin? What about the the, the other folks? So this doctrine was introduced by Joseph Smith um, actually at a funeral, which is Joseph Smith was brilliant on riffing on what the people needed and wanted to hear at the time. Now, and, and I don't mean that in a really cynical way. You know, you could argue that that was part of the restoration, that God revealed things line upon line, and that's, that's how he chose to touch the hearts of his people. But it, it was, it was a real talent that Joseph Smith possessed. So, um, Greg, do you have the details on that? So he mentioned the doctrine in the funeral sermon of Seymour Brunson, and this has to have been in Nauvoo, um, Around uh, around mid eighteen forty, he then wrote the next documentation that I'm looking at is he wrote a letter to the saints, um, October nineteenth, eighteen forty. You can find this in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, where he references it again, and 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 basically just kind of gives the standard line on on why it's happening and and goes and you know, he says without enlarging on the subject you will undoubtedly see its consistency and reasonableness and it presents the gospel of Christ in probably a more enlarged scale than some have imagined it um and uh and then he says I'll I'll talk about this later and then of course you know other major documentation of that is we get section 128 he talks about it again also oh a little later on I don't have yeah April he starts to talk about it again what I'm seeing is in 1842. I don't know what happens between 1840 and 42 in terms of introducing it. Uh, well, let, let's let's take a second and talk about how baptism was practiced at the time. Sure. Um, now in the church, you know, you're eight, you have the interview from the bishop, they fill out a recommend, you get baptized, and you enter into this database, and then you're tracked for the rest of your life. Um, no, you're entered into the database from the day you're born. Yeah, that's true. But at the time, baptism was a was something that they did over and over again. If you were sick, you would get right. baptized. If you want to show a recommitment, you'd get baptized. There were several times that, that that I'm aware of that the entire church was ordered to be rebaptized. I think they they rebaptized once they got into Salt Lake Valley during the Reformation in fifty seven in eighteen fifty seven. Brigham Young ordered the whole church to be rebaptized. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on this. For the first few successions, I think even up to John Taylor, when the when the new president took over, they rebaptized. That's right, I remember that. Um, so 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 it was not uncommon for people to be baptized over and over and over again, and um, so so baptism was this thing that they did almost like we do a sacrament today. Um, so so once they introduced it, you know, people went down to the Mississippi and started just 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 going, um, you know, 
going for broke, I guess. Splash you mean ba- baptizing for the dead? Are you talking no, about or baptizing. just baptizing each well, other? Well, they would baptize each other, but then the, the baptism for the dead. They immediately, on receiving the revelation, you know, they went down and baptized for their dead husband. And, and there was no... In, in the river. In the river, yeah. Yeah, there was, there no, was no temple yet. No, there was no temple and there were no fonts or anything like that. So here's the documentation on that. Um, this is actually in uh, Truman Madsen's Joseph Smith the Prophet. Apparently, uh, Wilford Woodruff wrote in a journal and he recorded the prophet's announcement that the saints could be baptized for the dead in the Mississippi River prior to the temple's completion, but there, that there would come a time when the Lord would accept that, that meaning the baptism in the river and also the baptism men for women, women for men, no longer. They would have to do it in the temple, not understanding at first they were baptized without regard to gender, men for both men and women, and women for both men and women, and without a recorder present. Does anybody else find it uniquely Mormon that the main sort of reference to chaos is around gender identity in this instance? (laughs) And the fact that no one recorded it. (laughs) Um, I I do want to point out that the Nauvoo Temple was the third temple. Um, and the Kirtland Temple, which is, of course, still standing, has no, nothing whatsoever to do with a baptismal font. Right. And um, the best we can tell, the 24 temples that were going to go into um, Zion, into Missouri, had nothing to do with, with baptism, which is, which is sort of interesting because baptism is the entry ordinance, and it's, it's the, like the one ordinance that appears in the Book of Mormon. Um, and it's, it's, it's fascinating that that, that concept didn't come into, into play. Now, I don't know when the practice stopped, but it wasn't uncommon in the 19th century to people receive their primary baptism in the Salt Temple. I thought they got baptized in the, in the uh, tabernacle. Did they have a font in the tabernacle? Yeah, yeah. that's, in uh, fact, yeah, that's where Tom is. Monson says he was baptized. Oh, really? Your, your friend, uh, Chris was baptized there. Really? Yeah. Wow. How do wow. I how do I sign up for that? <laughs> that's awesome. hey, man. When you, when you decide to go back, you know, you can, it's not too John, late. You can repent. We can, we can work on that together, John. I, I, oh, okay, all right. You got some friends you're going to send over to you. Yep. Uh, they might throw that out as the leverage bone. They can say, you know, if you'll just you shut up, we'll let you get baptized in the tabernacle <laughs> if you act now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's but precedence. Wait, there's more. You know, th- this is one of those things that that that, that nowhere does it really say it is anti-doctrinal to get baptized again. It's just one of those practices where it was done, and then they they said don't do it, but they didn't say it's against the it's against the religion, at least as far as I know. Um, just like polygamy. <laughs> no, well, that's, that's polygamy. A whole we still practice. Thing. Um, yeah. So this one we no longer practice. So now now the the Nauvoo Temple had. The modern concept of, of baptism, of the baptism for the dead. So, the um, does anybody have the the Levitical reference to the the cauldron or whatever? So, so the the there is a reference in the temple, the the temple that um, that um, Moses strutted around the Sinai Peninsula. They had the the the, 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 tent, the tent temple, right? The tabernacle where they had a basin. And it describes it as being, I think, three cubits across. Okay. I'm, I'm pulling this stuff out of my out of my memory. <laughs> I'll, I'll and, find it. And it's three cubits labor. deep, um, or or something like that. Um, Brant, this is scripture mastery. Come on, what what am I paying you for if it's not to, <laughs> it's not to quote scripture at me? So it's in the Bible the dictionary, the, okay, the laver is uh, or laver or whatever. 
We don't use this word anymore. A vessel containing water for the priest to wash their hands and feet before offering sacrifice in the tabernacle. It stood between the altar and the door, and it's referenced in Exodus 30 and 1 Kings 7 and 2 Chronicles. I, I think that doesn't describe a there, font. There's something, because it describes it as being on the back of the 12 oxen. And it, 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 it actually, it actually comes from, from the Old Testament. But if you read the Old Testament reference, it's very large and it's very deep. And it's not something that you could stand in without having your head below water. Um, but, but, so the modern baptismal fonts for the dead are built always below ground level where possible. You know, like Hong Kong temples on like the 34th, 4th floor or whatever. But it'll be in the basement, the lowest floor where they can, they build the baptistry below ground level. And it's, it's, it's usually like polished brass usually when I, when I see it. And it sits on the back of 12 oxen. Three pointing in each of the cardinal directions, um, and and the symbolism there is is the is the twelve tribes, um, and um, below ground is symbolic of being raised from the grave. Well, of course, baptism is is seen as a symbol of yeah of of dying rebirth and, and rebirth, rebirth right born again. Um, and yeah, most Christians would take it sort of as a being reborn again, and Mormons sort of take it as a as a um, resurrected resurrection reference. Um, what, what, what else am I missing from the, the, the practice today? Um, well, can I just say that, I mean, no. you, you did mention that, he, that Joseph Smith might've, um, started thinking about this because of Alvin, his brother. Um, but I think it's worth mentioning <laughs> the sort of universality of the concept. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the, the fact that Okay, to be clear, when Mormons baptize um, other people of other faiths, they don't think of them as then Mormons. They think of them as having a chance in the afterlife to become a Mormon, but yeah. they don't count them as Mormons at that point. Yeah, I think that's a good segue. Let, let's finish up on the, on the process, um, and then let's get into that, because I okay. think that's the meat of this issue we want to talk about. So you, you normally don't go into the temple, the, the above floor of the temple, till you're an adult. Um, the only exception is if you're being sealed to your parents. Um, but children between the ages of 12 and 18 are allowed to go do baptism for the dead. Or is it 14? 12. 12. It's 12. But 12. the boys yep. have to have the priesthood, right? Well, the boys get the priesthood at 12. I know, but I read somewhere that yeah, they, they have, have to have be the, deacons. Which is strange, because what does that have to do with getting baptized? Well, if you don't have the priesthood when you're 12, it's because you're a it's because deathly you're sinner. Right, because right, you're right. not worthy. Yeah, All right. the, the entry criteria is not real high for but, being yeah. a deacon in the Mormon church. But why don't they let eight-year-olds go do baptisms for the dead? They're too short. They <laughs> <laughs> would drown in that. <laughs> um, I, I have heard it, it also, they, they sit there and say, okay, this is one of those uh, rites of passage type things. And also, you need to be mature enough to be able to handle what you're doing. And apparently, twelve-year-olds are mature enough. Super mature. Yeah, they can yeah, sit definitely. quietly. Uh, look, I'll be honest. The times that I've gone and been with the deacons and the beehives, they've been very, very, very good. I always enjoyed going yeah. doing baptisms for the dead. It I, was a very spiritual experience. I I have heard more bad stories than I've actually experienced. Um, yeah. My yeah. experience was pretty spiritual. When so, you were a kid, when yeah, I was a kid, yeah. So, I so, was expecting a lot more. So, so for, for those, the listeners who've never been through this, um, usually a, there'll be two witnesses who sit up above and look down, and there'll be one man who holds the Melchizedek priesthood, and the children will come well, you'll, down. You'll be in a white jumpsuit. Everybody's in these white jumpers. 
um, for your, my English friends that were white pinafores. And you better wear white underwear too, because otherwise, it's a problem. Yeah, that's that's right. The temple yeah. gives you underwear. Yeah, they, in, no, in our temple, no, they started giving you underwear. They did. Yeah, when I went there, they hand you this pair of whitey tidies. They did yep. not give that to me, but I knew this, I was supposed to wear white underwear. I, I'm completely uncomfortable I, with I this from conversation. A generation where <laughs> everybody wore white underwear, so <laughs> that wasn't a problem. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm aghast. I'm, I'm going to leave you, all maybe, service. Maybe you had brown on and they I don't want to hear That's it. not going to work. So um, <laughs> It doesn't take much to distract John, does it? So so the, the, the man puts his right arm up to the square with his thumb out and then they, they hold the, okay, the person. so you're in the water with a guy. Yeah, yeah. And he says, um, and he's and he, looking he calls your name, Zilpha Larson. The priesthood holder. Yeah, and then he's got a he's got a monitor up 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 above and it has a name on it. it. Says, having been commissioned of Jesus Christ, I baptize you for on behalf of John, Joe John Smith, who is dead. <laughs> in the in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Ghost, Amen. He dunks him in and then he says it again. Zilphalarson, oh, having been commissioned of Jesus Christ. And I'm going slower than, yeah, than, they, than they, they actually than they normally go. go. Yeah, these are these are typically do like three ten in a row. seconds boop, per boop, baptism. Boop. Be, because the the reason I want to bring this up is not to make fun of the church. It's to, there's a question that comes up: How do you baptize? Um, um, what's her name? The 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 one who caused all the kerfuffle. Anne really. Frank. Anne, Anne Frank. Frank. Because her name is on the screen for literally three seconds. Right, and he like, didn't uh, see her name until it was halfway out of his mouth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, and then he's it, on to the next one. Backing up to is this a spiritual experience or not? It was for me, except for the assembly line process of it, and and so I'm walking down here at the you know tender age of thirteen or whatever, stepping down into the font, and then I get dunked thirty times in three minutes. Yeah. And you literally don't have enough time to catch your breath when you come up out of the Barely water before you're down. You're right, right. Down and so that's a little bit distracting. Um, and, it, and it's hard to feel like you're, you're doing a salvific ordinance at that point <laughs> in time when you're trying to catch your breath. Nevertheless, um, to John's point, this is how this happens. You know, how, how do we, um, baptize you know, Gandhi or Anne Frank or Hitler. Hitler. And it's because the guy looked up and suddenly Adolf Hitler is there and he's going, is that the Adolf Hitler? I don't know. I don't have, well, it's not for me to judge. Right, Adolf Hitler. could Hitler's be another splash. Adolf Hitler. Could have been. probably is. Could have been. Yeah, they don't have that information. They've got a first and last name, sometimes a first name. You know. Yeah. Brant, I think it's a concern. Sign. Yeah. I, I'm sighing heavily over here. What? All right, just a couple of things. First of all, you guys, you make it sound like we're this crazy 1984 type assembly line that we just like shuffle these teenagers through. Mm-hmm. They're doing it to to try and make it as as efficient as possible. For this matter, I, I've got to like check every word right. that I say. Wait, isn't that an assembly line? <laughs> now listen, I was, no. I was trying to be nice I know, and, I know. and describe the uh, process, but you have to admit, at the end of the day, this is a very fast process. It is a fast process. The reason, I think one, the reason it's I, fast I think, is there's lots of kids. Yeah, that, that's one of the reasons. I think as far as saying the, the baptismal prayer fast is simply because you're saying the same thing over and over and over again, and you just get used to saying it. Um, but... I think that what I would like is I would like them to maybe reduce the amount of baptisms they're doing for the kids or 
the amount of times they're baptizing the kids so that the people who are actually doing the baptizings can spend a little more time actually saying it instead of trying to rush through it. And, um, and then when you lift the kids, you know, you, you, you submerge the kids, you don't, you know, dunk them and get water or you submerge the kids, you lift them up. Do you guys, I don't know. We try and be really good and make sure the kids have caught their breath. And, and <laughs> half the time the girls are wiping Brand, their out of their I, eyes. I wish that you had been baptizing me because I was halfway through that process wishing I had some sort of a safe word so that I could <laughs> signal this guy <laughs> so that he didn't drown me. I know. If you really want, we can still make that happen. <laughs> my, I, Brand, I, my experiences were always very positive. And as a, as a missionary, um, there were times I went with the youth to do baptisms where I, I did it in the, in the baptistry and they were some of the, the highlight experiences of, of my life. The, the, it's very peaceful. The water is very warm. Everybody's in, in white. It's very it's like beautiful. Mormon you. temples are, are gorgeous in, in, inside. And it's, it's a very visceral experience. It's very real. People, people really feel something, something there. Um, I, I think obviously the the thing is right. They could slow down because if you sit in the temples for a while, go to the San Diego temple. If you go in the main lobby, there's a window where you can sit and watch the baptistry. Watch the people going upstairs to do endowments. Watch the baptism for a while. And you'll quickly learn that, and I'm not the first one to levy this charge, and it's come from the inside, that they're baptizing names over and over again. They have to be because the throughput of the baptistry is so much higher than the rest of the temple that that – you know, because that they, in, they'll bring a youth group and they'll they'll do fifteen hundred names. Sure, sure. I, I I look at that, and um, you know, the days that we would go, we would get on a bus and we would have thirty or thirty five youth. And uh, my recollection is that I did thirty names. That's nine hundred names that day. You know, from from my stake. From one group in about one hour, one an hour and a half. Right, really. right. Yeah, 90 minutes, and, and we did 900 names. Right. How many names have they got? Right. right. See, and I guess I'm skewed a little bit because we do have a mini temple, um, and they do like the fact that people will come and, and spend a little more time there. But I do think you make a good point because as you were telling that stuff, I was thinking about the times when I was going to school up in Rexburg, and – that's what they would do. You you get in there and and they would do. They'd have people start about six in the morning, and I think they would shut down at about six at night. And you'd be having people doing ten, fifteen names each all day for for twelve hours a day. Well, and and you know to to emphasize the the speed portion of it, you know they do the baptism, then they do the confirmations for the dead, and they have these special chairs constructed that people hold their their, their arms on, so they put their hands on on the head, and um, because. Otherwise, their arms would get too heavy. Now, now I always liked the baptism part, but when I was a youth, I hated those because the, the hands would get heavier and heavier and heavier, and it, my my neck would start to hurt. Um, but but you know, once again, for me, I, it, it wasn't a real negative experience, and I I don't think a lot of people describe it as such. Obviously, individuals are going to have um, negative experiences, but yeah, I mean, it was I loved baptisms for the dead. I definitely thought that they were fantastic, and even though there was that element of efficiency which is uh, it's just kind of funny to talk about you know that that just seemed when you're 12 that's, <laughs> that's like this is what we're doing hey you know knows. we've got billions of people to right, get through right, this right. we need to keep it cranking man it the day will come me. when the temples are open 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year minus general conference and sundays <laughs> it, it, it did disturb me a little bit 
just how fast it was and comparing it to my baptism, which I, you know, felt was really special. And then they were just dunking me so fast and saying these people's names so fast. And, and it was their baptism. And, you know, like I, that disturbed me that their baptism was this, like, yeah, yeah, s- something that they were just getting through as right. quick as they could. Because my baptism was, you know, an hour long event, you know, I mean, you know, four or five yeah, of us, it but was it was an hour long event and it was a big deal. My whole family's there and we get to sing songs and cry and all of that. But you weren't and, dead, Silva. But, <laughs> I know. So, so but, you know, now, now, I had only waited eight years, and these people have been waiting who hundreds, knows how long. Now we're ready to tie years. all this stuff together and, and move on to the, the big controversy. So for Mormonism, everybody has to have the saving ordinances, like we said. And everyone has to go through and have this done by proxy. It has to be done in this world by a living person. And I have to say, I cannot defend this doctrine because I it makes zero sense to me. And I'm, I'm not talking, I'm not exaggerating here. It, it was it, a good idea, though. I, it, I mean, to, it, unless you really what's think What's the idea? I, the idea I, It doesn't to, make any sense okay, at all. On the, well, surface, on the surface, it's a good it idea. Like no, no, idea. I, to explain it to me, I want to hear how it's a good idea You're going to give an opportunity to all these people who never got to hear But the, what opportunity is given? Yep. It's like if I say everybody in the elementary school needs to eat ice cream, but by the way, we delivered the ice cream to a school on the other side of town, and they're going to eat ice cream for like you. You get no. It's like oh, oh well, well, my ice cream was eaten, you know, or or you you to graduate from college, you need a calculus class, and and some kid in China took your calculus class for you, so you're in. That that doesn't make any sense okay. at all. I, I well, want to take a shot got at me this through job. college, that's not, but that's not where I thought you were going. Okay, so. Because one of the so this one of the central failures of Christianity and of any religion, because religions are born parochially, right? I mean, religions are born in a in a limited geography setting. So, uh, in in most instances, historically or historically, religion is about creating in group out group um, loyalty and and uh, and is not very concerned about. Saving Others. the tribe across yeah, the river, guys, right? So I got mine. As we move from sort of ancient Christianity, which is all about slaughtering Turks, to modern Christianity, which begins to think, oh, and you know, through the Enlightenment, which begins to think, oh, human beings across the world are human beings, and sort of we must all be God's children. And that's a that's got to be a new concept. Joseph's plastering of the idea that you could do baptism by proxy takes care of the fact that otherwise everybody else is just screwed and God I, um, is just as big a jerk as he ever was. Honestly, I think it's a great idea that got away from them. If if you go back to uh, what I was saying before about the ancient church, and you're talking about this guy that studied to be a Christian for, you know, 10 months and then died before he got the chance and his family loves him so much that they want to, you know, continue on and and offer him this opportunity, that's great. Or if your name is Alvin Smith and you died before you had a chance to be baptized into the rest, restored church, that is, you know, that's an act of love. Uh but you know, getting a list of Holocaust survivors off of the off of the memorial, and then running in, dunking them, you know, in 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 what, uh, mass. Brant? If you really thought that 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 was required for those people to be saved, wouldn't that be an act of love? Also, you know, I guess that's I, I guess that's really the uh, the bottom line point is uh, 
you know, if I were still a believer, you know, I would want to be baptized by proxy for my dead sister, for instance. Now, and that's an interesting distinction because Joseph does say when he's introducing the doctrine that it is for, um, it's for those of their relatives who are dead whom they believed would have embraced the gospel if they had been privileged with hearing it. So the that's distinction true. is pretty clear that you're supposed to do this for your family for members your family, who you, you think do. would have embraced the gospel. The right. wholesale baptizing of the earth, I'm, I'm actually interested to know if we can figure out where that when it comes started. from. Brant? Yeah, I don't yes. know. I just wonder if you have some opinion here. Or some um, insider information. I, I have a couple, but I, I want to back up just a little bit. So as, okay. as far as the controversies go, there have been a couple of controversies. Um, I think the first one is uh, the Jewish Holocaust victims controversy, which has come up a lot. We've talked about it. We talked about Anne Frank. Um, I, I can't remember the name of the the prominent um, Holocaust victim. Hey, who's still I know living. somebody who can tell you them all. <laughs> yeah, um, Ellie Weisel and Weisel. Uh, Simon yep. Wiesenthal. I think is what you who you're thinking of. But it's Ellie yeah. Weisel's father or father, something, right, isn't it? Right. Yeah, because Ellie Weisel alive. is still alive. Although, you know, that didn't stop him from dunking Oral Roberts. So Exactly. So, so go ahead. You, you have you have the Holocaust portion, and then you also have this other portion of people who want to baptize celebrities. For example, this is from the Salt Lake Trib. In May 2009, it was discovered that President Barack Obama's mother, Stanley Ann Dunham, who died in 95, was baptized posthumously into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Last year, during her son's campaign, the White House declined to comment. The June 4, 2008 baptism was performed in the Provo, Utah Temple, and a week later, the ritual of endowment was performed on behalf of Dunham. LDS Church spokesman Scott Trotter confirmed that someone did perform a proxy baptism for Dunham, but said it was counter to LDS Church policy for a church member to submit names for baptisms for persons to whom they are not related. Bullshit. Yeah, so what? That is um, Scott actually, Trotter can say that all he wants. And I'm not talking about you, Brent. I'm talking about the church. Uh, <laughs> but, Thanks, John. Well, yeah. in, in 2008, I didn't remember this, but um, the Catholic Church um, tried to block these baptisms that the, that the Mormons were doing by having Catholic dioceses um, withhold their parish registers oh, from the Mormon genealogical society. Because they kept baptizing saints simply for the reason that they were saints. You know, I don't... Which kind of which kind of leads into the whole celebrity baptisms and being able to say, oh, I did this for, for so-and-so. You've got to know that the person that submitted the name for Elvis Presley and the person that was baptized for Elvis Presley the first eight times, <laughs> did it for simply for bragging rights. So one of those times, I think, was in 1997 in the Bountiful Temple around uh, April because I was sitting next to <laughs> somebody with a slip that said Elvis Aaron Presley in the endowment session when there my wife got her endowments, which just was really sort of head-spinning. Uh, you know, I, I yeah. All right, let, 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 let's, let's be clear. Everybody who dies gets baptized by the Mormons many, many, many times. Not, I think not I've, everybody I've talked about dies. this for my, my grandfather died in, in 1989. Everybody they can get there. There are lots of orphans in Calcutta that never yeah. get baptized. Well, we can get there later. But the, my grandfather died in 89, lifelong member. He was a temple worker for the last 20, 25 years of his life. And my mom would get into his records and it would, and it would, it would say, 
oh, um, his ordinances were done, you know, died in 89, in, in 94, then in 96. Then, and then what the church would do is they'd keep bumping the date. So she would look in and she would be upset because the date of that, that her mother and father married in the temple in 1927 or whatever, it no longer said that. It said now 2009. And because because when you die as an LDS person, you're going to have your work done over and over and over because and they over have your and names. over again. And I really wish that I had the answer for this because, um, you know, two or three years ago, I was talking to my friend Helen Radke, yes. and she's been, you know, she's been doing this a long time, and she. A name will pop into well, her ex- head. Explain what Helen Radke does. Helen Radke is the person who has used to done have. She's mo- been blocked. Has done most <laughs> of the research about Holocaust victims being baptized, and so she had access to the records, and she would go in and catch temples doing the ordinances again, people submitting them again. Call the church, you know, call the newspaper, get everybody in embarrassed and in trouble again. And then it would go for two or three years and then she would do it over. But the other thing that Helen has done is she has found all of the names that I think are really interesting, including Jesus Christ. Now, somebody explain to me. Are you kidding why me? Why Jesus Christ needs to be baptized by proxy because there's a certain dude back in Palestine that probably thought he had authority to do that in the first place. Wow. That's fantastic. Well, and, and, and the, I, I've said this before. The last time I went through the temple, I still remember the slip said Mr. Smith. They had no name. <laughs> born circa 1523. No death date. <laughs> That's not a person. Right. I, um, I, this is not baptism for the dead, but I did uh, an ordinance. For a man named Juan. That's all we know. Juan. I, yeah. it, it seems so, like they so, could just make those up and then put them out there if they didn't have if they didn't have enough names. There's a lot of Juans out there. Well, <laughs> yeah, there are. So God you might as well just out. you know. But put, you, put you out know, this goes to the the, the and, complaint I was saying where proxy doesn't make any sense. The church could just easily say. We will baptize one person one time as proxy for everybody that in the would world. Be right. Awesome. Or or even let's do all the wands. It doesn't make any more or less sense <laughs> no, than, than, you're than individual. Right, John. You're absolutely right. I, I agree because if you don't have any any um you know, any information, if you don't have any You of don't this... get the ice cream or the calculus class. <laughs> you're trying to connect the doctrine. You're trying to connect the practice though to some sort of metaphysical reality beyond like this world and it's much easier to understand the practice as a way to control people and their resources and time. And well, yeah, but that's, no, that's I, don't, I don't want to go that far oh, because man. my question but it is... it does do that. We, we've had multiple... We, you have had multiple podcasts that touch on this, uh, this business about um, the temple ordinances and the question of are the temple ordinances and the things that you learn there, are these literally required... For salvation, do I literally have to know these signs and tokens? Do I literally have to know these words to get into the heaven? I sure hope not, because my memory is not that long, oh, and, and it's been that. thirty years for me. That. I'll tutor. Right? We'll, when you're on the <laughs> deathbed, I'll show up with my <laughs> Wait, I, I, think, notes. I think we need to with say some something notes. for for people who aren't very familiar with Mormonism, and then that is that Mormons believe that when you die, you don't then go to heaven or hell or wherever you're going to end up eternally. You go to this sort of limbo place that they call the um, spirit 
Prison, Prison or paradise. Spirit Paradise. And Brigham Young said it's right here on the earth. So Which these, is why we have so many hauntings. These spirits are all, all around us. Wandering around aimlessly. So, watching you masturbate. In, and wa- no, watching limbo. you oh, get baptized that's a good idea. for them. In I'm the going to remember that when I'm dead. Right? I mean, Mormons believe that sometimes, like, chandelier lights twinkle or whatever because one of the spirits was so happy yeah. that they're getting their I saw work that done. in Disney's Haunted Mansion. <laughs> it sounds like it's a wonderful in, life. In the doom buggy. No, yeah, that, I saw that. That sort of thing. I hear those things all the time. All right, all right. So, so... <laughs> Let's let's be clear on the. Is that well, one of my drinking phrases that they on the drinking game? Let's be clear. Let's, let's be go clear. back. Let's go back a minute. I got a whole nother. I got a whole nother. Let's go way, way hit three back shots in the in uh, ten seconds. I was just gonna say, do you want to get into uh, extraction and indexing? Yes, that's where I wanted to get into because my my grandparents were because this is why I said bullshit. Um, the church has been getting. I'm saying we tell everybody to do their own. You know, four generations do their family. No one else. That is true, but they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth because they also call people to be name extractors. My grandparents did this for a lot of years, and they, they lived in San Pete County, and they would take the stuff up to the temple. So they like, worked for the temple, and they would get these – these. So, so the church would send people out, and probably still does, and they would microfilm um, these church records from all over the world. They'd load them into a database, and they'd have these couples that would come, and they would extract the names. And, and today, they're civic records as well. Any record they can get their their paws on, right? Right. And then they take these lists and they submit them to the temple, um, and then they would go through and do and do the work. That was everybody understood that when you got it's, called to be extraction, right. it was so that these people could get their saving. And, and it's still happening. You yes, know, yeah, I, I, I members of my most. family are doing it every day. So when when Otterson or whoever talks about. He's, he's, he's speaking a truth, but not the whole truth. When he they says tell, that we only baptize our, our loved ones. He's talking ones, about the general our, membership. Well, he's saying we're supposed to. But if we're supposed to, then why do we need the name extraction program? They're right. still extracting these records to feed the, 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 the temple work. And, and that it's, it's just this thing that's completely known inside. And, um, that's why the church has been duplicitous on this point. They've never taken any action till now to stop it from happening, other than saying tisk tisk. Right. And now they finally did what they should have done a long time ago, which is they just don't let anybody look and see what they're doing. That's all. I mean, that's all they did. In the, <laughs> That'll last completely month. stop it, right? Yeah, they, they you can't go and check to see. Okay, if they're doing. so Zilpha's going to make us back up and no, I explain. have a question. I have a question, but it's off this topic, so maybe I should wait. But it's about it's about children who die. I can't remember. They don't ever have to have any of this stuff done, right? If oh, they're yes. under eight, if they die oh, before yes, they're eight, and if they die after they're eight, then they do. Yeah. Remember so if Mountain they die Meadows? under eight, none of those children have to have any of these saving ordinances. Uh-uh. In theory. Then how does that make sense? Like, if they're needed, they're needed. Well, right? now, now it was a practice up until the late 19th century that if you were a 16-year-old girl who died, you would be sealed to a living man. And, another... and there was a big brokering service. There was like this. The, the, I am not making the, guys. I'm not making this stuff up. I, you can't make this up. They would talk. They would barter in dead women and marry them to 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 men. Sometimes they married them to 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 dead guys like Joseph Smith, but oftentimes it was to some brother in the ward that they they liked to respect it. Brother Heber, because he doesn't have quite enough wives. Be- because because they took this More idea that these ordinances had to happen very literally. And there are instances of them marrying off, like like this guy's 16-year-old boy died and these guys' 14-year-old girl died so that they would 
seal them together. But I want to know what Brent's answer oh, is. Why, why is it not required for people who happen to die like one day before they turn eight? Because theoretically, the, the individual hasn't sinned yet. They're still within God's graces. Therefore, they would go directly to the celestial kingdom. And but how would they, they get there without the, the signs and tokens? As an eight-year-old. Seven They're, point nine nine seven. Oh, They're before the age of accountability, so I guess they have like the. It's kind of like going to the express lanes, where if you have like twelve items or less, oh, I think that's where they Eight get to go. You know, at Disneyland, you don't have to buy a ticket if you're under four. The fast track thing. So, yeah. so I why mean, would anybody ever want to live past the age of eight? I mean, why would anybody? Why would why anybody would want, want to child? meet any missionary from the oh, Church of Jesus, Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints once they find out that they're going to baptize them afterwards? Anyway, this is this is exactly the logic that if you read the books from the '60s, justifying the racist doctrine of not giving blacks the priesthood. This is the exact argument. Yeah, we're saving them. They said, you don't want the priesthood. It's a burden. It's a it's responsibility. A white man's burden. And if you had okay. the priesthood, you might not. Along with all of the other white men's burdens. We have a lot. Of <laughs> it them. is so hard being a white middle-aged man. Oh, it is. It is just, oh, the, the weight on the your service back. is slow. <laughs> the tips are way, way too high. The percentage. It's just, it's just, oh, it's a nightmare. So I, one thing I guess I was thinking about as as I was getting ready to talk about this is baptisms for the dead is sort of the manifestation of universalism that shows up in Mormonism, right? It's the attempt at universalism. It's bad. It doesn't work very well, and it makes ordinances nonsensical just completely on their face. No, th- but- this is the point I've wanted to make. First of all, the rest of the world needs to chill the frick out, okay? <laughs> um, because this is a sort of a beautiful thing in a way. You know, I brought up the problem of the minority. Most religions, we've sort of gone over this, have no problem saying, yes, yeah, screw everybody else. We're the chosen ones. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful element of Mormonism that looks and says, Hey, we've got this problem of the restoration, but we're going to solve that problem. I think it's a kind of a naive solution, and it theologically doesn't stand up. It's it's inconsistent because um, a lot of days Mormons are universalist, and a lot of days they're very exclusionary. Right. You know, when, when they're saying it is hard to be a Mormon, you have to obey all of these commandments, and look how great we are. You know, we struggle, but we repent, and, you know, being a Mormon is really tough, unless you're dead. It's It just seems... <laughs> Inexplicably, inexplicably inconsistent to and, me. I don't understand. And that inconsistency goes with the amount of time and treasure that the church spends on temples, where I think, Greg, you brought up the Calcutta um, orphan problem, which is, if you, if you look, just give a, uh, a you know, terse looking at world history, you'll realize that we can't even get 20% of the population. Right. There's no, 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 there's no chance whatsoever. There's no yeah. record of, of what, these people. What percentage of the population of the earth lived and died without a single stroke being written about them, so not even their name? The problem of the temple is that it tends to be the gentry, it tends to be the assholes of history that we have written about, <laughs> that we have access to. White men. So, so, so these are man. the people that we're saving. And, and Mormons literally believe. My parents have this post. My parents are very much into genealogy. And they have this poster hanging above their computer. And it's got an old faded picture of some, you know, like pioneer stock. And this says, we're waiting. Because the, the belief really is on these guys are stuck sort of in spirit prison until somebody does their work. But this is a very privileged view that that not only did were we the chosen generation to be born into the church and baptized, 
But if you were a, a land baron in France in 1400, <laughs> you were privileged too because you're going to get out of hell a lot faster than all your serfs did because there's no <laughs> record of them. You know? Right, right. They have to wait until, you know, Jesus needs to hurry up and come back so that we can start like sorting everything, sorting out. everything out. Yeah. There's also a problem of that baptisms for the dead. If, you know, there's some, Brent, you're... Brent, are you a are you a six thousand year Earth guy or are you a are you an evolutionist? I am an evolutionist. Okay, so uh, so I didn't. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm just going to point. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Baptisms for the dead run into a bit of a problem if you believe in if you accept evolution because okay, let's go back a generation, go back another generation, do that, do that, do that a couple dead. hundred thousand generations, and where is the line? You know, where where do we? Where does uh, where is um, the line is Adam? Yeah. No, but there is no Adam. No, a- Adam well, is where God breathed the breath of life into human beings. He put the special spirit of human into. Did, Adam. Weren't you listening to Adam? God, come on! This has been we've handled this. <laughs> we've handled this has been addressed. Let me let me let me. Do you believe that there. there was a person on the earth who was named Adam who lived in a garden? Could be. No, 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 that that wasn't. You, you believe that that's possible that there could have been a man on Earth named Adam who had a wife named Eve, and there were just a lot of other people around. I think anything could happen. Okay, that's fair. I'll How's go that with for that. a plan? Yeah, that's you know. <laughs> All right, so I promised I wasn't putting you on the, the spot. So off. you know, anyway. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, right. so go go ahead, Brent. Here, here's my rant. Look, baptisms for the dead aside. That's you know we could we could talk about. Are they even effective? Do they even work? I mean, what's the point of them? We could talk about that. I think for me, as as a believer, the thing that really ticks me off the most is you have – I really believe in my heart of hearts, you have 80% of people who really are concerned about their ancestors and who really want to do the right thing and want to do their own family temple work. I'm perfectly okay with that. I mean – Granted, you get into a little bit of a sticky area if you're in a situation like me where my parents are converts, their parents pass away. How do you handle that? But 80% of them are really good people, in my opinion. You have this 20% that seem to take things to this alarmingly, unnecessarily degree like we talked about. And I guess this might be a little crazy, but I guess I can kind of see this 20% of people. They pull these names, they pull the Elvis Presleys or the Anne Franks, and they take them, they run to the temple. And then on Sunday, they gather with all their friends and they're bragging about the amazing things their kids have done and how many dates they've gone on. And then when you get this lull in conversation, it gets really hushed. You could bring up the fact that, oh, by the way, last night I was at the temple. And then you could say something along the lines of, well, you know, the most curious thing happened when we were at the temple. And then you have to stop because you got to let everyone just breathe it in like a season finale of a TV show. And then you have someone that speaks up and says, go on, what, what happened? And then these, these slime balls, they look everybody in the eye because they're so desperate for the attention of their peers. And they make sure all the attention's on them. And then in this soft, almost condescendingly spiritual voice, they try and say, we had... Ernest Miller Hemingway. And then since they've got to leave on this high note, they walk off right at the right time so everyone can turn to each other. These are the slime balls that I get really ticked off at because you know what? 80% of the people really want to do the right thing and really are concerned about their family. But you have these idiots out there who really give, frankly, the rest of us a bad name because this is the kind of crap that they do. 
Okay. Wow. Okay, so John, let's have a closing prayer right so, now because that's the so end of the podcast. I, I agree, but <laughs> come over to the dark side. Wasn't Luke. this started by Wilfred Woodruff? The the founding father. Oh, oh but gosh. this is even better. Yes. Yeah, because he's the one who had the vision and then went and had the special session in the temple in St. George. And, he's and, different, though. And, he's different. <laughs> problematically. Uh, but, but, but the point it is the story establishes the precedence of having this special calling to go do baptisms for special people. Right. We have to do all these special people because they're so important. And, and, for, and you know, for everybody's reference, heaven. what uh, Woodruff did was he had all of the founding fathers baptized by proxy. Well, not all. <laughs> Benedict Arnold. <laughs> but, it, uh, yeah, but he got done. Eventually, everybody well, gets there. But problematically, all of them had been done when Wilfred Woodruff had the vision. Oh, they'd already been done. Yeah, yeah. not all of them. But but again, he sets this precedent of saying these people are too important for us to forget. These founding fathers, they're dear to us. Fair enough. They're dear to us. They are. This is what Americans do. But now... Plus, there are a bunch of deists and Unitarians. Hush, and hush. Sorry. There are precious founding fathers. That's what Americans do. They worship founding fathers. But now you set this precedent that we have to baptize somebody that's important in history. And now where do we draw the line? The founding fathers, obviously. Uh, all of the generals in the Civil War, of course we do. Marilyn Monroe. Sure, why not? <laughs> All three of the three stooges? Sure, why not? They're famous. So, so, Elvis Presley. Dane, in any of your Elvis research, Presley has Anton LaVey be been, been baptized yet? <laughs> I have tried to find the record for Anton LaVey. I can't. Wait, 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 wait. I might be confusing him with somebody else. But... Anton LaVey is the founder of the Church of Saint. <laughs> I'm going to look him up. Died in 1997, so he's well past his one year grace period that the church requires for you to baptize. But, I mean, for every Anton LaVey that they've forgotten, there's a John Wayne Gacy that they got. But, so you know, we haven't, in, in, in all of our flippancy, we haven't gone over the thing that you hear about most often, which is some little old lady will be at church, and she'll have a husband who is married to her for 44 years, right. never set foot in the church, never baptized. They wait exactly the one year, and then they do all the work for for them. It is sort of an insult to the position that people are in. And they get up and they give testimony about it. This is a very important thing in Mormon culture that never gets picked up in all this hoopla. That that for people who are close to you, as soon as you are a year gone, there there is no doubt in my mind, one year to the date after I am dead, somebody will do my work. Yeah. That, I mean, that'll be me. I'm just going to let you know. It'll be me. <laughs> you have my permission. No, and okay. I, I was thinking well, that as I'm I was sure coming he here. He needs to be dunked again, and I think that's kind of the point that he's making about his, his uh, was it your grandparents? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. I'll do it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. do me while you're there because uh, I need saving. <laughs> I, I think the point you start to make there, John, is really important because it's sort of this sacrosanct concept that you honor the wishes of the dead. So, I mean, it's it's law. You know, somebody who is dead who doesn't care anymore because they are dead and or at least certainly can't object you know we we look at a piece of paper and we do whatever they wanted i mean it's really really like important and it's law and it's and and there's uh, charities and institutions and stuff set up for this and baptizing people who really did not want to be mormons their whole life i so i flies this is, in the face of that that's seriously. a good point i mean i i understand what you're saying but i'm an atheist 
I don't care what people do after I'm dead. I'm, I'm dead. All right. And I think this is where I said this 20 minutes ago. The world needs to chill out about this because no, look, that's true. Look, You're and, and, and the, the Catholics tell me I'm going to hell. The, the Protestants tell me I'm going to hell. The, the Buddhists tell me I'm going to reincarnate as a goat. And it goes, it goes on and on and on. Like every religion. You want to know what I think? Because yeah, sure. <laughs> but 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 for people to get up in arms about this, where for Mormons it is it is indeed something that they're doing out of an act of charity. I think we've established that for mo- the way the rest of the world, the way we all look at it, it's a misguided element of charity. But Mormons are doing it not spitefully. It's 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 an it's sort of an act of love for for them. Um, and I think everybody getting and I know I'm going to let Thane argue with me on this. I think everybody getting getting way bent out of shape about this is overblown because all the religions are doing this. And you even take religions like 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 the the you know the the, the Jews that read the Old Testament. You know they didn't have any problem invading villages and killing all the cattle of the, of the other. So why everybody is so concerned about this thing is sort of baffling because I think all religions do this to some extent or the other. Well, we're in a more modern age. If, I mean, we're more careful about but, people's uh, feelings, for one thing. Hopefully, hopefully we're getting more civilized over yeah. the years rather than less. But um, so the the um, the argument, uh, you know, if I'm going to argue with you, if it's super important for Mormons, then when people criticize you, just say tough beans. We're going to dunk you again just to make sure. Mm. You don't understand, and we do, and we're going to do what we're going to do, and you can go hang. But they don't. They say, gosh, I'm sorry you caught us again. Yes. <laughs> and, well, that's an excellent point. And, you know, they, they said, oh, we caught you. They said, sorry, my bad, in 1995. And they said, sorry, my bad, in 2005, I think it was. And then they said, sorry, my bad, this year. And we Knock we know. I, I remember when it happened in the nineties. I was in the church. It was all just. We all knew. All the members knew nothing was going to change. Right. Right. So why are they apologizing? Is your why question. are they apologizing? Yeah. If why you, don't they just if you own believe it? This, if this is literally essential for these people's salvation, then you've got nothing to apologize for. Just do it. Right. You're saving lives. You're saving people for right. exaltation. But but I don't apologize for that. I think that they should not be doing it unless it's someone that they knew and that they exactly. knew would I, probably want I, to accept I think the everybody here agrees with that but but you're saying don't but get I'm up saying in arms the policy, and you're saying don't apologize the, the policy I, I is everybody must be uh, baptized and have these other endowment uh, ordinances in order to be saved. And so if that's what you believe, and and back to my original or earlier point about uh, are these ordinances literal or figurative, um, if they're literally required, then don't apologize. Just do it and, and tell us all to go away. But that's kind of not that's we, that's been bred out of us. I mean, if you if you had that attitude, then the 
manifesto, the first manifesto, would have never happened. So we well, are accustomed and we're, we are accustomed to lying about. Sure, we've set a precedent for uh, backing and apologizing off for the things that we do. If we need statehood, we back off with polygamy. And if we need a president elected, then we back off of baptisms for the dead. But we don't really all the way. No, we wink. no, it's all I, lip service. We cross our fingers and we wink, though, so right. that's the same thing, right? Yeah, if you read the church statements, they're, they're head-scratching. I mean, all, all of them. As a, as a member, if you really parse them, you're saying, why, why are they saying this? But the, I, I think Thane's got a good point. They do it all the time. And we've said this before on the podcast. Mormon doctrine is unique and special, and then the church hates all that stuff that makes Mormon doctrine interesting. Right. Um, and, and because they, they want to appear that they just want to say, us two guys, we're part of the club. We're not different. There, there's rumored to be a book that the, the last book, and I think it's probably apocryphal that Bruce R. McConkie wrote titled Why Mormons Aren't Christians, which was McConkie's big middle finger to the rest of the world saying, no, we're not because you guys are all, um, you know, doing the wrong thing. And I think Mormons should own that. I mean, Muslims don't have any problem telling everybody else they're going to hell. Catholics don't have any problem telling everybody else to go to hell. Catholics especially. Mormons should tell everybody else to go to hell. <laughs> Brant? But, no, they should say, we're not going to let you go to hell. We're going to I know save better you all. <laughs> the problem is Mormons start telling everyone to go to hell, and then i got to get on the podcast and try and defend that. Um, here's, <laughs> here's where I think. I, John, you and I come from different views of this, which, which absolutely shocks me, but you actually kind of believe like my father does. If none of this matters to you people, you people meaning anyone who's not Mormon, if none of this matters, then Just who cares? It. But – for me, I sit there and I say, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about – there was a lot of talk that the Mormon moment was the fact that the, the Mormon church is now getting a lot of attention. And I think that the other Mormon moment that's going on is the fact that we have to start reexamining a lot of these things and we have to start taking a look at this and saying, what are we doing? If it's if If you can trace Elvis Presley within your own genealogy – then at least you have something to talk about. Yes. But if you're just going out there and baptizing people willy-nilly just to say that you've done it or just to say, well, see, I gave Adolf Hitler the best chance he's going to have, that's not right at all. Yeah, and so I'm wondering which one of Elvis's children authorized that baptism or which one of Hitler's many children authorized that baptism because I don't think they recorded that. It was Chuck, Chuck Hitler. Well, so, I mean, one what, – one thing, and I think that you would agree with this, Brant, um, to to maybe attempt to counter John's, you know, what do you care um, argument. Much older than the type of theological religions that we have today is the desire to take some care of your ancestors and the way that we regard our ancestors once they're dead and how we think about them and how we kind of protect their memory and we put trinkets in their, you know, grave or whatever. And, and so that, I mean, that goes way, way back beyond the idea of an afterlife, right? Before, before there was an idea that there would be some great afterlife paradise or whatever is the idea of honoring your answers is probably the root of religion. So and all the way back to Neanderthals. Well, and my mission, the, the Buddhists, the Theravada Buddhists I was among, very much respected and enjoyed the temple. It was very, even if they weren't very LDS, they saw it as something honoring, yeah, honoring the, the you know their ancestors. So I want to say that it it's it's not even if it doesn't make rational sense, it's not it can't be surprising that people are upset when you're essentially trying to co-opt their ancestors 
and and sort of desecrate them and say that they weren't in some way that they weren't valid. It's it's in bad taste. There are things that you, you know the 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 Holocaust victims. It's too soon. It's too soon. (laughs) It's just in bad taste. And I don't think, like I said, I don't think the Mormons should be baptizing anybody who they don't know personally. That being said, the church did come out and issue another statement. Um, I just got one of the bullets right here. Without exception, church members must not submit for proxy temple ordinances any names from unauthorized groups such as celebrities and Jewish Holocaust victims. If members do so, they may forfeit their new family search privileges. Other corrective actions may be also may be taken. So are they going to say that in conference next week mm-hmm. over the pulpit? Because that's the only place where Mormons I, actually care. Well, I think no. Of, and I mean, they did read this in all the wards in the last two weeks. And yep. it's it's very frustrating to me that they say, if you submit these names, we're going to take away your new family search privileges. But who got their privileges taken away first? The people that the called them on it. Right. Yeah. Helen and me. That's that's integrity. So wait, what happened to famous dead Mormons? Uh, we're on hiatus until further notice. Until you get some the mole, new moles. Right? Sure. Th- th- we, we haven't mentioned that. Th- Thane is the apostate behind Famous dead Mormons. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will say this. I think that, as weird as it is, I think that you're going to see the church really putting a strong crank down on this until, really, for the rest of the year, depending on what happens with Mitt Romney, because they know that they're under a microscope with all of this. So there might the be some – dis- it, it really wouldn't surprise me if there's discussion of things like this, maybe not explicitly coming out and saying this, but things like this next week at General Conference. There also might be the church trying to do some distancing, but um, I think all this really revolves around – we wouldn't be hearing about this if it wasn't for the Romney campaign. So you agree that it's disingenuous? Uh I think that I think that if they were really serious, that they would have taken a lot more corrective actions instead of just threatening it. I love you, Brian. That. Well, it's wait. I, what more could they have done? They, well, read, read, the, you can read the passage again. It is so full of weasel words. This is this is the church. Everything's written by the lawyers in the church. All it says is other corrective action may be taken. Personally, for me, may be taken. Ooh. This reminds if me of it, that scene in Amazon me, Women on the Moon with the pirates and the the chest of videos when they put up the FBI. Amazon Women on the Moon? You guys oh, haven't seen yeah. the movie? No, uh, I was just watching it last week. It's, it's classic. All right. There's your homework assignment. Everybody needs to go watch Amazon Women on the Moon when the pirates open up the, the – they steal all the videotapes and they play the FBI warning and they all give a big hearty pirate laugh. <laughs> um, but the, the, the – tur- that may corrective action may be taken. Ooh. What what they should do, and I don't know, it might be dramatic, but what they should do is they should be in positions where they're they're taking temple recommends. Either they're taking them Public for a year, <laughs> they just yank them. Honestly, if we're going to get down to brass tacks, they've got to do something along those lines. Do more than take away your family search privileges. Take away your temple recommend. Um, I don't think we need to excommunicate anybody for this, but they need to take away a temple recommend for somebody that is a a serial offender. And there's got to there be are, a consequence, right? And there are people that are serial offenders. There are people that, going back to the Holocaust victims because I know that this happens with those people, and I can't speak 
with assurance for others, but there are people that go out and they have this list of everybody that ever has been identified that died in the Holocaust and they submit all the names and they all get done. And then Helen finds them and yells at them. And Gary Mokotov of the, uh, of that Jewish organization yells at them and they say, Oh, I'm sorry. We won't do that again. And then some other well-meaning person submits this same, you know, 600,000 names and it happens all but, over but again. But in my mind, that's no different than going to some Lutheran church in Scandinavia and pulling you know, no, a, a thousand, no a thousand right. names for, from that. So, so the problem I have is they can go after this little old lady who's completely well-meaning, but the church itself is still extracting all these names. So, right. Because until they say we no longer name extracting, but then they got to shut the right. temples down. And, the and temples honestly, go that's the very next paragraph in that, no, uh, in that letter wrong. that was read last and week Joe is Smith. members are encouraged to participate in family search indexing, which is vital to family history and temple work. Well, make up your mind. Are we going to stop submitting names that we're not related to, or are we encouraged to participate in indexing, which is vital to family history and temple work? Make up your mind. They're, they're adjacent bullet points. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and you guys are, I mean, you're saying you're talking as if the church actually has any intention of actually stopping people from. The church doing finally that. did what they should have done a long time ago from their no, perspective, and they're not letting Thane look anymore. Right. right. You're right. a troublemaker. Right. Which but, solves all their problems. So to be clear, what happens is if, if, if you, if you go to their database and search for names, which if they had this trigger list of names, why they didn't put it on the front side in the first place to say, warning, you are, your account has been suspended. You are submitting names that right. you can't suspend. Right. But instead, now they put it on the back side. If you go search for Elvis Presley, you'll get your, your, your credentials revoked. Right. And, and to be clear, it's quite possible that the church, figured out who I was a long time ago and said, that troublemaker's got to go, and they couldn't figure out, you know, what account uh, Helen was using, and so she didn't get suspended. But nevertheless, they are doing what they should have done in the first place, which is get a list of names that should never be baptized or submitted for baptism and and put up a flag every time that name comes up. Every time Elvis Presley comes up, that person is a disingenuous submitter of names. Every time John be, Lennon comes up. You, you just have one guy who works in the COB who just looks up famous people, makes sure they get their work done, and then flags the record dark. Don't they right. have somebody doing that with Dude, porn? I could do that now. Just looking up somebody at the Cobb who looks at porn to all, like, all day to make sure that... Uh, make sure that I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> it's good work if you can get it. <laughs> No, honestly, uh, uh, I'm not the smartest dude around. I'm not the best historian around, but I could probably come up with a list of a thousand or two thousand names off the top of my head of people that should never be submitted because, you know, it, it is not being submitted by family. Just go get a go go to the DI and buy yourself the. A Trivial book? Pursuit Gold Edition and Trivial Pursuit Pop Edition, and every name you see in there black out. Right, right. It's not. It's not hard. You know. Well, you I mean, you know, it. look at the look at the examples I gave before of famous people that died twenty years ago. Everybody in their family is still alive, and nobody asked them. Who asked uh, permission to have John Lennon baptized? You know, did did we ask Yoko? She's still around. Did we ask Julian? Did we ask, you know, Sean? Did we ask any of those people? No, we didn't ask any of those people. Did we ask Lisa Marie Presley if it's okay to, you know, baptize the king? No, we didn't. What about Michael Jackson? 
hasn't been a year yet. Sub- it has been a year. Oh, and, yeah. and he's been submitted, yeah, but not uh, not baptized to my knowledge. He's oh. been submitted, though. But he was submitted less than 24 hours after he died. Likewise, Ted Kennedy. Likewise, uh, Ed McMahon. I know those three because they all died the same week. So, you know, they, they, they submit these names 24 hours or so after the person died so that, you know, 364 days from now, we can get these guys. You know, what, what is the thinking? How, how can there be a sincere notion that we're saving these people when, you know, some stranger from, you know, Timbuktu submits Ted Kennedy's record the day he dies what's the good reason for having them dead for a year just to make sure that they're dead i don't understand that's the good reason for having jesus dead for three days is or two and a half so days you, so that you, make sure that you never dead. know just i don't know no how you doing over there brant <laughs> i'm i'm good so brant yes you're, you're gonna get the last word bring bring it home for us brother all right, so here's here's what I think. If we're wrapping this all up, here's what I think. I think that the controversy revolves around people that are being stupid and really not baptizing for their own family. If you're baptizing for your own family, work that out for your own family. Um, but the problem really revolves around these this 20% that I just can't stand. I mean, all the listeners have heard us talking about the, some of these different issues that have gone on. It's it's a problem. It's going to need to be solved, and and we'll see what the church does with it now. Now that they've had to come out and make another statement against it, and now that they're under a microscope, they almost have to do something. I promise that you're still going to get the last word, but I have a question for you because you're talking. You're giving this eighty twenty thing. Yes. So of the one, two, three, four, five people on this podcast who have done um, baptisms for the dead or who have done temple work, how many of you did? like your own family names as opposed to just whatever slip they gave you at the temple. Zilpha? Um, I you just did the slips they gave me. John? Um, my all the, my all the, work was already done. My family work was already done by my mom. Yeah, all the, the, the work had been done. Thane? Uh, same thing. I never did any of my own family. But in- Brant, do you do your own family? Uh, 50-50. Come on. Brant's just invoking the Pareto principle. He's I know, literally... but it's not. I'm saying the Pareto principle is flipped on this. Only 20% of the church actually does their own family names, and 80% of the people that go do little do I think, extraction I, I think 80-90% of the, of the stuff that goes through there is from extraction. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know but, where this idea... But that... I, I think extraction is... Extraction is at least good faith. They're pulling them out of church records. As Wait, opposed to what, going what and entering mean, church records, they're going to some church. Yeah, you're not talking about Mormon. No, church. no, no. I'm talking about country parish records. Yeah, you know? which is what the Catholics were getting. It, it, but it goes, about. it goes, it, but it goes with the Mormon principle: baptize everybody. If some doofus goes and puts Elvis in, you know, to Thane's point, that's not. Well, that's he's, not accomplishing. He's anything. in everybody. Doesn't he deserve it? No, famous Elvis. people do not deserve the saving ordinances. <laughs> they do not deserve salvation. Jesus takes care of them specially. Oh. Brent, we, okay, we, back to the, sorry. sorry. Last word. That was it. I got nothing else. So, all right. So yeah. So I, I, I'm. I'm. So I, where I end up here is everyone needs to chill out. This is not any different than anything else. It's 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 just a silly silly thing. I think genealogy is silly in in and of itself. Whether you're doing it for the church or not. I think it's sort of silly. I mean, that's- it, it especially is for, for you and I, because we have adopted children. So it's like, okay, genealogy. Even at, what, look, look so what- I am, I am, I am related 
to the like the Vandals and the Saxons and stuff. I feel more akin to the Greeks, but I don't Are have you any, name I dropping. I don't have any Greek blood in me. It's it's like I don't I don't buy into the whole blood thing. You know, people. I, I, it's just it's just it's just an, it's just an old fashioned idea that that it matters that I'm Irish, my kin, or that it matters. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, I, people ask me what I am, and I say Scottish, and then I have to turn around and go, well, for the last eight and a half, nine generations, I've been American, <laughs> but somebody back there was Scottish, right? And I don't yeah, wear it doesn't guilt. mean anything. And so I, I think this is sort of a it, it takes like a good idea that Joseph Smith had. And then perverts it down these, you, you take these things to their absurd conclusion. But now the church is spending billions of dollars on the finest imp- imported teak and mahogany and gilding everything and lighting these things up. And, you know, hundreds of temples, every, every conference, so you have to announce seven new temples and they have to feed those through with names. And, and the, the, the church cannot solve this problem. They can't back away. But it, what what they should have done is what I expected. I was floored when I went to the temple and found out I couldn't just go like do stuff in there, you know, like you do at church. Like you couldn't go and just contemplate, pray. You couldn't go into a room with an altar and and pray or contemplate or meditate. You know, there's no room for that really. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be that way. You know. Yeah. Why do we no, have to do 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 in the temple? It it doesn't have to be that way. It wasn't that way in Kirtland. You know, it it wasn't that way in well. Kirtland. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they used to uh, dance in Nauvoo Temple? Right. It, it, it was, down. I, I didn't want to go beyond Kirtland because the, the Nauvoo Temple did have, you know, ordinance work done there. But, you know, the, yeah. And, and everybody that you talk to will tell a story about being in the celestial room and being shushed away <laughs> and, and, you know, brisked away by, by some matron that says you've had your You've had you know, your two minutes. You've had your five minutes, and and everybody's got a story about. I tried to kneel down and pray, and and they told me I was getting my knees dirty. <laughs> but five minutes in heaven is better than two minutes in heaven. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, there you go. Another another principle of Mormonism thoroughly analyzed. All right, we've got some great things coming up. The weenie roast. On um, April 21st, you're in the state of Utah. If that's probably not full by the time this yeah, it might ro- be full by the time this out. on the on the website at MormonExpression.com, there is a new link to community. We've rolled out local community um, representatives. Um, you know, if you want to get in touch with other people who are of a similar disposition and just get together and drink a beer or um, watch Battlestar Galactica, you can hit up one of these. These um, reps. We're also putting um, events. We've got some. Um, we have the live show. Um, the live show on April, April 15th. Zilpha and I will be in Denver um, on August 24th. Uh, we'll be hosting a dinner. We'll be seeing the Book of Mormon show. Not hosting a dinner, but we'll we'll meet some peeps. Zilpha wants at a restaurant. Zilpha means we're not paying. <laughs> I'm, I'm not cooking and I'm not paying. Um, and um, some other great things. So check out the website for 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 great local events and things we can meet uh, up with don't people. forget the essay contest yes we do the the essay contest is in full bloom what what's the cutoff date june 1st get yeah. your essay in it needs to be something to do with mormonism um 10 minutes or less um record it and submit it two hundred dollar prizes one for the people's choice and one for john larson's choice and, and submit it to mail at mormon expression 
MailMormonExpression.com. Um, and until May 1st, we have the t-shirt logo contest contest uh we're we're rolling out our store it's just for fun it's not really for profit but it can be an image dealing with mormon expression or anything else as long as we think it's clever it'll go up in the store and we're giving away 100 bucks to the our favorite um of that yep what else is going on that should be enough all right well as always the discussion continues on the website at mormonexpression.com um this show was um produced by brant thanks brant um Directed and hosted by myself and will be edited by Rich Rasmussen. Um, so the Selden Plan does our music and a lot of other people do a lot of other stuff. Good night, everybody. And wait, don't forget what? about Whitefields. Oh, yeah. This is a product of the Whitefields <laughs> Educational Foundation, which is supported through your generous um, donations. Donations. Uh, consider a subscription today. <laughs> Man, I got to hire somebody to do all that stuff. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Oh